It's good to be with you this morning. Good to open the word of God with you. Uh, please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And while you're making your way there, we got to verse 8 last week, which read, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But Paul says to Timothy, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Father, as we gather in your name, we, we ask that your word would be revered in our hearts, Lord, that we would have spiritual ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church through your word. Lord, that you'd meet us where we're at in these times. There's so much going on in this world, Lord, uh, culturally and obviously with uh, wars going on and our brothers and sisters are suffering in various places and various ways. And Lord, we have, um, we've enjoyed much freedom in this country and we are grateful for the season we've been in Lord, but it seems like things are turning in a different direction as you said they would. And so Lord, prepare our, our hearts, Lord, to embrace the gospel, to be unashamed of you and the generation that we live in and that you would receive all the glory and honor. It's in your name we pray. Amen. amen. As I mentioned last week, um, the letter of second Timothy is being written by Paul who is imprisoned most likely in Rome at this point. He's, he's, um, at the end of his life, he's writing, obviously, from prison. He's on trial. Nero's in charge, and so things are not good. And we're going to see by the end of this letter that, he, that Paul is fully expecting to die, and church history tells us that he did lose his head there. Um, Paul is writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. He was his right-hand man. He was his protege. He's the one he poured into his life, his life into and put him in important places at certain times, like in Corinth and Ephesus right now, he's uh, Timothy's in Ephesus and Paul is writing to Timothy from probably pretty some dire circumstances in a Roman dungeon like prison. Uh, he's writing to Timothy to encourage him. He's encouraging him in his call as a minister. He's encouraging him because Paul is facing persecution. And as Paul is facing persecution, people are starting to uh, back away from Paul because they don't want to feel the heat as well. And Timothy is kind of facing that himself. He's wanting to back away from the suffering. He's kind of wanting to pull away from being a minister of the gospel. And more importantly, uh, not just associating with Paul, but with Jesus Christ. And so in the first few verses, Paul, can you imagine this, Paul in prison, suffering in chains, getting ready to die. He's writing to encourage Timothy. And as he's in these situations of suffering, he's thinking about Timothy. Timothy's, you know, he picked him up, I believe, in the area of Galatia. And uh, Timothy was radically saved and and started following Paul, you know, for years on his journeys. And so he's thinking about his life and he's thinking about Timothy and, and he's letting Timothy know what he thinks of him. And he, and he uses the first few verses to kind of fondly reach out to him in this moment. Paul reminds Timothy, he says of how thankful he is to God for him. He's and that he's praying for him. 
And he remembers Timothy's tears. Cause the last time they met, he was, there was a tearful departure. And he remembers how Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother and how they were, had a sincere faith. And he reminds Timothy that the same sincere faith that was in his mother and grandmother was now in Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you have a spiritual lineage. You are a believer now. And he reminds Timothy that that same sincere faith that was in your grandmother and your mother is now in you. And because of that sincere faith, stir up the flame of the gift of God that is in you. Don't let it die out. Don't back away from the call that God has given you in this moment for this time. And by the way, you received that calling. Don't you remember when I was with you, I laid hands on you most likely with the elders and Timothy was called into the ministry as the church recognized the gifts and calling of God upon Timothy's life. And Timothy gave up all and followed Christ into the mission field. This was his call. And Paul was deeply involved in that. And so Timothy, don't forget that God has called you to this. And the reason that Paul is reminding Timothy of this again is because Timothy seems to be wavering in his call. Now that the persecution is kicking up, we read of the parable that Jesus gave about the sower of the seed and the sower went and sowed the seed. And that was a picture of the word of God going out into the various hearts of people. And that uh, only one of those crops bear good fruit, but the rest of them had different adversities going on. And the picture of uh, the, the seed that went into hard stony ground. It says that they received the word with joy. The root kind of went down, but when the sun came and started to get hot, it withered and died. And Jesus goes on to explain to the disciples as he pulls them aside. He says, listen, that's because of persecution. When the heat comes because of the word of God, they backed away. And so there wasn't this real faith that actually had happened. He's telling Timothy, don't back away. Continue in your calling. And so Paul says in here in verse eight, as Timothy is wavering, he says there in verse eight, therefore, because of your sincere faith, Timothy, do not be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Listen, Christianity is not to give you your best life. Now it is an invitation to suffer with Christ. This is a dark world a Christ rejecting world of whom we all once flew the flag of the enemies of Christ and God and his love and his mercy came and he saved us. And he called us out of that darkness into his kingdom. And because of the light that is now within us graciously given by Jesus Christ, we are now one with Christ and we experience the rejection that he had by our righteous living and our godly um, good works. And so for Timothy to back away from his call was to be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus. And we talked about last week that that word testimony is the word that eventually became martyr because to testify of Jesus in those days would usually result in the martyrdom of, of your, of your life. You would die or be persecuted or thrown to the lions or whatever it might be. And so don't be ashamed of the martyrdom of the sufferings of Christ, nor 
nor me, Paul says his prisoner. And notice whose prisoner Paul says he is in these circumstances. He's not Nero's prisoner, technically. Whose prisoner is he? Because I'm Christ's prisoner. The reason why I'm here is because I'm following him. And if I'm a prisoner, it's because he has me here. That's amazing. And that's going to be key for Timothy to understand. The point is that Paul has called Timothy to embrace his call to follow Jesus in difficult times. Follow Jesus in the pattern of Jesus's prisoner, Paul. To do that would be to be unashamed and to share with Jesus in suffering. And so picking up this morning at the end of verse eight, Paul calls Timothy to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. And that's very important. What Paul is going to do here, starting in verse nine, is he's going to put the power of God on display. Because when we are in situations that are difficult, we need to see beyond our circumstances to a God who's in control. And by the way, Paul's going to make the point who has been in control. And what's not happening is not a mystery to God. He's not going, oh my goodness, what in the world happened now? I can't believe you're suffering. I can't believe they rejected you. What's going on there? And so what Paul is going to do here is he is going to bolster Timothy's faith by pointing him to the sovereignty of God. And it is a beautiful thing because God's plan is unfolding in time and space to save sinners. And Paul says at the end of verse eight, man, sharing the suffering by the power of God. And then he says what God has done. He says in verse nine, check it out, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Two things that God has done in his power. He saved us and he called us. These are acts of God. So Paul's salvation, Timothy's salvation, our salvation is an act of God. God is the one who saves. We don't save. You know, we don't sit there and struggling for life and go, you know, we're drowning and someone throws us a, a dinghy or rifle, you know, whatever those round things are. And we grab onto and go, I saved myself. No, someone else saved us. Someone reached in and grabbed us. And so Paul's salvation and Timothy's salvation and Timothy's calling and call to serve in a special way. That's what that word holy calling means. It means uh, a set aside calling, a special calling, which we all have in Christ Jesus. It's not just Pastor Matt, but he's talking to Timothy here. You have been saved by God and you have been called by God. If indeed you have believed in Christ and he's called you to a holy calling, a special calling. You were once in the world. Now you're not. Now you're his child. Now he has given you his Holy spirit and he's gifted you and he's called you for his kingdom and your life is found in him. He's called you to that calling. It was God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Keep reading, not because of our works, but because of our wonderful ideas about what we want to have happen in the future, Timothy, God saw your great ideas about what your life would be like and where you're going. And he said, that's man, that's marvelous. I will do that. Let's do that. Is that what it says? What does it say? He saved us and called us not because of our works, not because of the things we have done, but because of what his own purpose and grace. And though you got to understand those two things, cause they are married his purpose. That's God's plan. His will 
and his grace, his unmerited, undeserved loving kindness and favor towards us. Those things are married. Wow. That's the God we serve a God who is the definition of grace. He is grace. He is love. <laughs> He's also just, and we will get into that later, but, but our salvation, our calling, which is by God's loving kindness towards us has come about because God purposed it. It's God's plan. It wasn't yours. Your calling that he's called you to is according to his plan. It wasn't because we purposed it. And Paul says there at the end of verse nine, that God's purposes for us were given to us when, when we negotiated it with God. What does it say? Before the ages began, before we were here, God had a plan and a purpose in his grace for you. That's the power of God. Well, that's all talk. That's all talk. Right? Well, how, you can say someone had that before foundations. How, how, how do we know that God's all powerful and that actually worked out? Verse 10, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God not only planned it and he purposed it, our salvation and our calling through the gospel, but he manifested it in time and space. He came into our world. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ in whom we have our salvation, our calling. He was manifest. Jesus is, is God's purpose and grace for sinners purposed before the foundations of the earth for us was manifested into time and space. And what did he do for us? What was God's plan for us in Christ? Look what he did. Verse 10. He abolished death. Now we all die. Don't we? The soul that sins shall die. So what is he talking about there? He abolished death and he brought life to and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus came and we were all in a predicament that we've all sinned against God and fallen short of his glory. But because of his grace and because of his mercy and because of his love, he sent his only son, Jesus, to save sinners from the penalty of death. A one-sided injection into darkness to display the light of God and salvation through Jesus Christ. And he, the innocent, died for the guilty that Paul would say of whom I am chief. And I think most of us would say, and I don't think so. Right. Jesus was manifested in time and space. What God actually planned came and happened in this world. 2000 years ago, Jesus appeared. This is why I believe is because the prophecies of the old Testament, they spoke about him coming from Genesis chapter one, almost all the way to through Malachi. And then there's the appearing of Jesus Christ. And it happened just as it would said, he was born in the place. He was said to the people he's supposed to be born to, uh, you know, uh, he died in the right place. Uh, I mean, you just go off and there's so many different ones. I didn't prepare that in my mind right now, but you know, 
We don't believe in a fictitious gospel. And this is where the attack of the world is. Oh yeah. Did God really say, and they're echoing the words of Satan in Genesis where he says, did God really say the first words out of Satan's mouth is challenging the word of God. But when you really dig in and you really look at the scriptures and you read it, they are true. We've shared about like the dead sea scrolls and things like that, where people said, ah, oh, you know, Isaiah is full of holes and all that type of stuff. And, you know, it was written, you know, earliest copy we have is way late and all that type of stuff. And then they find in 1948, some shepherd boy throws a rock and hits a jar in, in the desert. And what do you know? The Dead Sea Scrolls are there. And it's a copy of Isaiah among many other things, a thousand years earlier than the copy we have now is exactly the same. 18 stylistic differences, meaning commas and periods or whatever it might be. It's true. Don't believe what they tell you. The word of God is true and it testifies of itself. Think of the word of God. Think of what the world tells you. The world tells you that we came from a, from gobbledygook from way who knows when. I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but listen, the word says that you were created in the image of God. When I look at you, you have a will. You have listen, God's a creator. And I see the creativity of God in you, in your life. Look at the clothes you're wearing. You want to explore, you desire relationships. All these things that are inherent in God are in us as his chief pinnacle of creation. And it says that we are created according to our kind. When it said, when he talks about the animals, they were created according to their kind. How many half bat, half, you know, dogs do you see around or transitional species and all this type of stuff? I'm sorry. Yes, I am absolute creationist. I believe it's exactly how God said it was. I hold to it. I believe that sin and is the cause of death in our world. I believe when God created the world, he created it full just as he created Adam, not a baby. He created him a man. The world is full. There's a lot there, but what I'm saying is that the old Testament which is attacked constantly. I've done a poor job of defending it at the moment, but it speaks of the coming Messiah and he came and he did exactly what it said would happen. Not written after the fact it happened. And what is coming will happen exactly the way he says, Jesus, God's plan before the world was created, he appeared. He appeared and he came and he died and he rose again and he abolished death. And that death is spiritual death. That when we physically die because of our sin, Jesus promised eternal life that you would no longer continue being separated from God. You are now given eternal life, a new spirit. You're born again through faith in Christ. His life is imparted to the unrighteous through faith. You have his life, you know, so the idea of heaven and hell 
as destinations know it, hell is being separated from God. It's, it's continuing in death. It's called the second death. Actually, as you get to the end of the book of revelation, but eternal life is being one with God, being born again, knowing him through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except through me. It is an exclusive narrow path through the cross. And his plan was to, he'd abolish the death that you and I deserve and that he'd give us life. And how did that come about? What was the result of Jesus coming into time and space is that in doing all these things, the message of the gospel, the gospel, anybody heard like, Oh, gospel music. It means good news and not just any good news. It's specifically pointing to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Good news. You are offered eternal life. You're offered a pardon by the one who created you. And you're not only offered a pardon, you're offered adoption. You're offered salvation. You're offered a changed life from the inside out, not religion outside in, but a change from the inside out, new life. How does this happen? By God's grace. It's like the wind. And God's spirit moves upon your soul and he convicts you of your sin because he is just that way. And in your sin before God, you go, it is exactly how you say, and I deserve what you say I deserve, but you're also gracious and you're merciful and you love me and you sent your son to die on my behalf and give me life. I believe. And God changes you from the inside out. It is a, act of God. And then not only does he save you, he sends you, he calls you into his purposes. And you actually find out that is why you were created for him and his good pleasure. He abolished death through the gospel. And Paul says, listen, the message of the gospel, that is why I'm suffering. Verse 11, which is what well, goes, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher and which is why verse 12, I suffer as I do. That's why I'm in prison, Paul. I mean, Timothy, it's not because of all the trash talking that's going out there that people are saying, this is what I did and all that stuff. It's because I'm just following the Lord. I'm following in his footsteps. What happened to Jesus? That's what happens to people who follow him. They get rejected. Not because we're nasty with people because we're shining light and darkness. And we all know that. How many of you were pretty nasty to Christians before you came to Christ? How many of you didn't want to hear about your sin and all that kind of stuff? And you're going, well, aren't they the goody two shoes? And, but you just couldn't stop looking at the change that was in them and the love that was in them. And when they blew it, there was a confession of sin instead of a whatever of sin. An act of God happened in them. It was undeniable. And the gospel that they lived matched up with the gospel they preached. God uses that. And Timothy needed to be reminded of why Paul was in prison here. Why he was suffering and facing death. It was because God's power was on display. This wasn't some mistake. It was God's plan. And Paul was part of it. His plan was unfolding. Jesus came and he died and rose again that anyone who believes would be saved. Paul says, he, Jesus appointed me as a preacher. That's a proclaimer as an apostle, one who is sent and an ambassador and as a teacher, one who explains what these things mean. 
And Paul says there in verse 11, this is why I suffer as I do verse 12, but I'm not ashamed. Why not? Cause I know him. John 17, three, this is eternal life to know the one true God in whom, whom in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Paul says, Timothy, there's a reason why I'm not ashamed of my suffering. Cause I know why I'm suffering because it's for him. I know him. I in, and that word, uh, no is gnosko in the Greek, Greek, and it's an intimate knowledge of someone or something. It's often used in a husband or a wife situation. It's you, he knows God. He knows his character. He knows his plan. He knows him personally. This is why people hear you got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe we could phrase that better, but it's what it is. God comes to us. And he reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus. You begin to know him as you, as his Holy spirit is now in you. And he shows you what he's like through his word. He explains his character and you grow in your understanding of God and your knowledge of him. It changes you. It shapes you. And this is important, especially in suffering because our number one thing about suffering is I don't want to do it. Anybody else? I'm with you. I don't want to do it, but there are things worth suffering for. Aren't there? How do we know what those are? Well, God shows us and he trains us and he grows us. So at one time where we would run away from something, we grow up and we realize now this is a situation where I'm not going to preserve myself anymore. Paul just laid out the power of God. He knew God. He just laid out the power of God and his plan of salvation and calling and, and calling in Christ Jesus for us before the foundation of the earth and how God in his grace manifested his son to bring us eternal life. And Christ appeared to Paul you can read about that in Acts, I think chapter nine. And he talks about it again later in chapter like 20 something in 27 and 22 or somewhere. He says, man, I was going to kill Christians. That's what I was doing. I was on my way and God appeared in blazing light. And those people, I just went to go kill many of them whom I, I have killed and imprisoned and taken away and ripped their families apart and done all these things. He was now calling me to go minister the gospel and to make more of those people. And Paul in his conversion, Jesus said, I'm going to show you all the things that you will suffer for my name. You're going to suffer Paul, not as a penalty for what he had done, but because of the grace of God in him to call him out of darkness into light. This is what you have been a part of in your persecution. You're now going to experience because I'm going to make you a great servant of mine. It's amazing who God uses. It's amazing who God uses going one direction. And all of a sudden God meets you and then you're going the other way. That's an act of God. Paul says, I know him. He's powerful and he's gracious and he makes good on his promises. <laughs> Not only that I would suffer, but on the other stuff too. 
And, and he goes, verse 11, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I just told you that before the foundations of the earth, he saved, he called, and then he manifested Jesus. And then he called me. I'm convinced. I know him. He is going to make good on what he called me to do. I'm convinced that as an apostle, as a preacher, as a teacher, being entrusted with the word of God, he is going to make good on what he has entrusted to me. He is going to guard me until that day, until my head is removed from my body. He didn't know that yet, but he knew it was coming. God is going to fulfill his purposes. Just think about this right now as we are reading this letter, God made good on that promise. We're reading the letter from Paul 2000 years later. That's pretty wild, huh? In that prison. How did that come about? Well, God guarded it. Amazing. Brothers and sisters through times, these times are becoming a little bit more difficult and truly following Jesus is becoming a little more uh, difficult. Would you say as we follow Christ, we realize the world is not following Christ as we seek to follow the righteousness of God and follow what he says about the world, about sexuality, about race, about gender, about all these things, about creation, about evolution, about everything. As we are informed by him, the world's not going to like that. And there's going to be increasingly less and less and less tolerance of us. We're going to be shunned more and more. And we are. How many of you feel like at any time, at any conversation, you can just share your thoughts about God in a, you know, at work or whatever it might be. But anybody else with counter views can say whatever they want almost. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But listen, in all that, in all this, God has entrusted you with the gospel. He saved you and he called you. If you have believed upon his son, he saved you and he has called you and he's entrusted you with a part of the gospel. You might not be a pastor, Matt. And let me tell you, that's, that's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, I'm a mouth on Sunday morning, but guess what? You are the body of Christ. You're the plan. You're the one out there influencing the dark culture in ways that pastor Matt can never do because God's plan isn't just pastor Matt. It is his body, him working through you in your various giftings and various ways and relationships that you have sharing the gospel through your words. Yes. With words, church, Embrace the suffering. Practice speaking about the one you love. And number two, by your works, living it out. Amen. We tend to like to gravitate towards one another, you know, one, one or both of us, but they are both. That's what it is to be a Christian to not only say, but to do. God's given you a call and he will guard that until that day. And Paul says, I'm fully assured. And there's this beautiful calling that God's given us. Paul says this in Philippians. He says, I am convinced that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I know what God began in you. He will finish. Even in the face of persecution, even in the face of suffering. Romans eight, what can separate us from the love of God? 
Can any kind of opposition separate us from the love of God? No. Paraphrasing. And I didn't tell you the verse because I just want you to go read the whole thing because it's awesome. But Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And he says in Romans one, for it is the power of salvation. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Paul didn't back down. He trusted God in the midst of suffering because the gospel is the plan of God. It is the purpose of God. It is the power of God on display. Jesus Christ, the son of God, eternal life for all who believe. And God guarded Paul until Nero took his head until that day. And the ministry of Paul is still going on right here this morning because God purposed it. It's amazing. And now Paul says to Timothy in verse 13, after he's, after Paul goes, look at God is so big and awesome. And he's able to protect and do all these things. Now look at verse 13. Now follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard in me, heard from me in the faith, in love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, follow me, Timothy. How many of you have someone in prison suffering for Jesus? And they go, Hey, now follow me. How many of you are like, eh, you know, I'll do Christianity light. And that's what was happening. He said, follow me. How are you supposed to follow Paul? Well, in the pattern of the sound words, this is healthy words. Like what I'm saying and what was going on is there was a lot of weird talk going on in the church. He says, follow me in how I talk. Follow me in the pattern of faith in love. That's the scriptures lived out. Follow me. And it's awesome to have those older believers in your life that you can look at and go, wow, when I grow up, I want to be like them. I want to trust like them. I want to love like them. I want to change like them. I want to be patient like them. And you talk to them and they give you this, the background story of how God brought them to that place and that they're not done yet, but follow me as I follow Christ. Paul says to the cross and to glory, you're going to suffer Timothy, but follow. And then after the call to follow, he says here at verse 14, by the spirit who dwells in you uh, dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He just said that I'm totally confident that God's able to guard what has entrusted me. And now he turns around and tells Timothy, you not so much. No, that's not what he's saying to Timothy, but he's saying you guard what God has entrusted to you. So which is it? Is it God who guards or is it you who guards? Yes. And this is where we come to the beautiful tension of scripture of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man over and over and over in scripture. It's amazing. Paul just got done saying, listen, it's God who saves. It's God who calls. It's God who injected Christ into the world. He did all the stuff, his plan, his powers on display. It's manifested. And Paul said, he called me and all those things. And he's, and he's going to guard what he's entrusted me until that day. And then Paul calls Timothy to follow. And then says, Timothy verse 14, by the spirit who dwells in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy, by the Holy spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit. Fan the flame, Timothy. Don't stop. Don't back away. You choose to follow Christ. This is what God always does with us. He comes to us and he says, follow me. Will you follow? That's the choice. It's amazing. And we see this tension in scripture and all over the place. God is sovereign, yet we're responsible. Philippians 2, for example, I'm just going to briefly go over this. 
Philippians 2, if you're taking notes, verses 12 and 13, it's a great example of this. Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi and says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13, for it is God who works into you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You work it out and it's God who is working in you to do his will. Isn't that weird? Which is it? Yes. Jude verse 20 through 21. There's only one chapter in Jude. Another example of this tension, but you beloved build building yourselves up in your most holy faith in praying in the Holy spirit, keep yourself. So build yourselves up and keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait a second. I've got to keep myself in the love of God. I've got to build myself up. Yes. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And yet a few verses later, Paul about, uh, not Paul, but whoever Jude here, uh, about faces and says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And he goes on. So there's that call for us to obey. And yet we find out that it is God who is working in us to obey. Do you understand this? If you do, let me know. It is a two-dimensional view here of a three-dimensional reality. God is saying something that somehow we are called to obey. And yet he is, he's the one who is in charge. So there's this divine tension. So Timothy, I'm confident God's going to, God's going to guard this, but gets for you. You've got to guard but both are true. And at the same time, we see this faith is exercised in obedience. And that is by the power of the Holy spirit that would sit within him. And so Paul was encouraging Timothy to share in the suffering for the sake of the gospel, share in it, continue in it, press into the suffering. In what ways are you facing a little persecution and pushback in your, in your areas? In what ways has God called you to step out and be light and be truth in the face of darkness or to reach to someone? And you just won't do it because you don't want to suffer. And I'm just pointing this all to myself, by the way, I'm not just pointing it to you. I have the same stuff, you know, get up here and preach to a bunch of Christians. Easy. Go out and tell, you know, and develop relationships and get down to the real things that matter, man, that's hard. Think about that right now. So Paul's encouraging Timothy to share in the suffering for the sake of the gospel. And the backdrop here is verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Timothy was in Ephesus, which is a modern day kind of Turkey area, Asia, was the area, Asia minor. And Timothy knew all these people that ministered. Paul done these missionary journeys and people came to the Lord and they ministered with him and he came through and all this kind of stuff. There were relationships that were developed with Paul all through these years. And he's saying, listen, everybody in Asia abandoned me. When they found out what's going on with me in Rome, they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And then he points out two guys we'll read around later. I won't talk much about them, but these guys are heretics. They're false prophets. They're saying the resurrection has already happened. <clears throat> But there were people who Paul had brought to the gospel that when it came to difficulty, they were abandoning him. And Paul's making the point to Timothy 
listen, what they don't realize is they're not just abandoning me. They're abandoning the gospel because this is the gospel. (laughs) The reason why I'm here is the gospel. I'm here because the darkness does not like the light. That's what's going on. Now, I don't think these people, all these people abandon the faith. I don't think that's what's being said here, but what it does reveal is that their priority was self-preservation, self-preservation. This is the same thing Jesus experienced. Jesus was arrested. And what did the disciples do? See ya. But those same men, after they grew up a little bit in the Lord, after Jesus rose from the dead and rallied them all back together. He changed them. Instead of being about the priority of self-preservation, it became about love for the Lord and love for the lost. That's what it was about for them. Willing to lay down their lives. And they all did, except for John. They all died. They all were martyred. You can read about them in, Scriptures and book of martyrs. It's pretty, pretty wild church history, but Jesus went through the same thing there. But Timothy knows this and he's feeling the same stress within himself to be like these other guys to self-preserve. And that's, what's going to be facing us. And that is what is facing us as a church in the days that we're coming. The pressure from all these things, like the stuff we've been going through the last couple of years, it's not about COVID. It's not about vaccines. It's about a spirit that says, unless you comply, you will suffer. We'll take away your home. We'll take away your job. We'll take away your finances. We'll do everything in the name of fill in the blank. It's not about all that stuff right now. This is a world that is ripe for the antichrist. That is ripe for that totalitarian person to come through and just slaughter the people who do not comply and make sure that everybody gets the mark that does comply. I know some of you going, okay, I'm checking out now. This guy's weird. Listen, this is what the Lord said would happen in the last days. He's going to talk about it a little later here. He's going to say people are lovers of self, lovers of money boastful, proud. It's all about self-preservation. It's about self. And if, if, if all this is about self and it's not about the glory of God, I'm not willing to suffer. <clears throat> I'm not willing to suffer for God. And, you know, um, you know, that's part of the reason why we have not enforced the things we've enforced could because, you know, in the end, you've got to be able to exercise that conscience before God It's a really important thing. It's going to be squashed more and more and more and more to where you cannot, you know, pastor Matt's going to need to talk to people according to the pronouns that they want me to talk to you about. It's not happening. Not because I don't love people or can't, you know, sit there and go, man, I, I, I'm lost. I, I, I was totally lost and, and I know they're lost. That's not it. He said, I love the Lord. You love the Lord. And when we follow the Lord, there's going to be resistance that's coming. That's the natural flow of things. It's all coming down to a point. 
where the nations, the world is going to be in rebellion against God. They already are, but it's going to be more organized and formed. And either you are on, you will suffer and you will die. That's what happens. Or you will comply and have temporary life. That's the picture. I hope the Lord and I kind of look to the scriptures and go, Lord, get us out of here before all that happens. That's why, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm pre, you know, at this point, <laughs> that's where I'm at. And then if that doesn't work out right, I go to mid and then we, uh, <laughs> and obviously post and then all millennial or whatever else, you know, I mean, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back now. Right. Amen. Yeah, that's what we're waiting for. But say it, that doesn't happen. Say he waits and he tarries and there is just massive suffering. Do you love the Lord? You know? And do you love him? Are you ready to, to suffer for his namesake? Not in being Listen, just by being righteous and living holy. You know, are we willing to love one another in our persecution? You know, at the end, when all this is said and done, Jesus is going to bring the nations before him. He's going to bring the world before him and he's going to judge him. Matthew 25. There's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. The ones who did my will are the sheep. It's not that you were saved because you did that. It's the fruit of your salvation. It's because you are saved that proves it out. Well, what was that? When you fed me, when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me with when I was in prison. And they said, well, when did we do these things? We, I never seen, we just now saw you. When you did it to these, my brothers, you did it to me. Notice when you visit him in prison, this is not prison ministry just for the sake of evangelizing the lost. This is visiting the righteous who have been persecuted and who are incarcerated for that. Did you love him? Did you identify with him? And he's, and he's going to verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the house of someone here. One Ciferous. <laughs> I had it all worked out. I, you know, it just, I was going to be a cool pastor, but it didn't work out for. He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. He didn't just believe he lived it out. He went after Paul. He endangered his own life because of his faith in love. He realized to love Paul was to love Christ. To, to minister to Paul was to minister to Christ. At the expense of his own life and his own household. Verse 17, he, he searched for me earnestly and family and may the Lord grant him mercy from the Lord on that day. On the day we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The mercy seat is Christians. As we are called into the sheepfold, may he grant mercy. May God richly bless him on that day. And he goes, man, Timothy, you know about this. He's been through Ephesus. You've seen his life and what he's like. He did the same thing when he came and, and, and met me. And then he goes back. He says, man, there's people who are abandoning 
and going after him, self-preservation. But then there's the Onesimus is out there, or whatever his name is. Onesiphorus, our brother. And then chapter two, verse one says, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You be strengthened by the grace, by the loving kindness. And I think the picture there is, listen, I was in chains and Onesimus came to me and he just strengthened me, loved me, sought me out and he found me. And he says, you know what? God does the same thing to you. Be strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. God loves his kids. He just loves you in the midst of all your messed up problems, not mine. Yeah, he loves us. Definitely mine. But he says there, I love Hebrews four about the grace of God. It says, I love this verse, Hebrews four, 14 and 16 through 16 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Jesus has gone through the suffering. Let us hold fast to what his pattern, the confession of him for, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence that is, let us boldly King James people say, amen. Let us boldly come before the throne of grace or draw near before the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy to help in time of need. We've got an ocean of grace available for us in our suffering. Man, God is there. He's there for his children and he's going to make good on his promises. And we'll stop there. God, you are so good. Thank you for your precious word. I pray the hearts of your church would be uplifted, that we would be rallied to you in your greatness, God, from your plan from eternity past being rolled out before us that you are at work and what you said long ago has come and what you said will come, will come about. And we are trusting in you that you will make good on your promises. Lord, there's, there's a sorrow in our hearts sometimes about how we see what's going on and there should be. But at the same time, Lord, you've called us to a time for this reason, to be salt and light in darkness. God, cleanse us of our wayward path. Lord, help us not to abandon the truth, but to walk holy and circumspectly until you come. May we bring glory and honor to you and forget what the world says, but live our lives in such a way that to aim to please you and that many would come to know you as we persevere through whatever. Teach us Lord to suffer well, teach us to love you deeply and more and to love one another more and more. Help us to see the world through your eyes now, Lord. Lord, the world is our mission field and you're sending us out. And so here we go, Lord, to your glory. Amen. God bless you.